morning church. Yeah, am I the only one that is so emotional this morning? I don't know when last I looked at an Empower clip and cried. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just feel the presence of God this morning in this place. I see the providence of, of God just watching that clip. I see the queens that God has given to us as men. I see the goodness of God in so much. Men, do you realize how blessed we are to have the woman that we have in our lives? That is the providence of God in our lives. Whether it's your mother, your wife, your sister. Hey, the women are so powerful in our communities. It's so often that we find the, the women are the ones who are kneeling in front of God and, and holding up our arms and our hands in the fight. Our women are such soldiers. This morning we just honor you. Wow. God is good. God is so good. Woman, we love you. Woman of rebirth, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for taking the lead. Us as men are taking notes furiously. Empower him is coming. We are priests. We are kings. We will take our place in the home. God has ordained that. And if he will show us through the woman that he has given us, then so be it. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your providence. You're such a good God. Lord, you've meant for so much for our lives. You've purposed us and that's why we're here. Father, this morning I just pray a special prayer over the men in our homes. There's so much that we're going through in this world today, Lord. You've meant for us to be strong, not strong in ourselves, but strong in you, Lord. In you, Father, we are strong. We are weak on our own. We look to you, Father, our creator, our hope. We thank you, Lord, for the woman of valor that you have put into our lives. Thank you for their strength, their inner strength, that calm strength, that spirit that you've given to them, Father. This morning we honor them, Lord. We thank you for who they are. We pray for forgiveness for taking them for granted so much of the time. There's so, so much that they do behind the scenes. And we just thank you this morning. Thank you for giving them to us as a gift, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. 
Father, we just pray over your word this morning that you would anoint my lips of clay to speak as the Holy Spirit leads. Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and your mercy this morning. The Church of Rebirth says, Amen and Amen. So good morning again, Rebirth. And I have the honor of sharing God's word um, in this building for the last time. I think, because we don't know what God um, has in the future, you never know when we, we come back and share God's word here as well. So we thank God for a time such as this. Um, Pastor Bevan and Zoe, thank you for um, also trusting um, the leadership and us with, the, with God's word, this pulpit as well. I want to give honor this morning to the worship team. They did... Oof. Well done, guys. Well done, guys. Dwayne, well done. <laughs> I, see, I see steps of faith coming out here. Steps of faith. And we shall see men following your footsteps, Dwayne. So the title of the sermon this morning, Faith-filled and Faithful During the Season. So faith-filled and faithful during the season. And um, I don't know if you've seen this morning already, lots that's gone on in the service has been about the promises of God, the providence of God, just what God lays out for us and what we've got, what we can actually lay claim to. So I want to take a step back and I just want to lay a foundation so that we can put this all into context. So in the beginning, God created man. Man then was disobedient and fell away from God. There was a separation. Increasing wickedness of man came about. God was sorry that he had made man. There was then a time where God decided, I'm going to take man out by means of a flood. There was a man and his family who found favor in God's sight, Noah and his family. So a remnant was left. After the flood, God blesses Noah and his family. Go forth, be fruitful, multiply. Okay. Then we get from Noah, his son Shem, and a descendant of Shem is Abraham. He was Abram at the time. Became Abraham the father of many a little later. From Abraham came Isaac. From Isaac came Jacob. And from Jacob came Joseph down the line. Now, Joseph, I'm mentioning because something happened. There was a shift that actually happened with, with Joseph. Joseph, through God's providence, taking what was meant for bad, God making it and turning it into good, Joseph ends up in Israel, um, sorry, in Egypt. Joseph ends up in Egypt, but so does Joseph's family down the line. Okay. 
and they experience a time of joy, of abundance, of growth, of favor in the land of Egypt. Right? That lasts for a season. Joseph dies. Pharaoh comes into being. They, they don't remember Joseph. They just see this Israelite family that has increased, that looks like a threat. So this family of Israelites that was at one point favored is now afflicted. Okay? They go through a severe time of punishment and they become enslaved. So, God's chosen nation is in slavery. And we'll see just now why they are God's chosen nation. So, God has an elaborate plan to rescue the Israelites from slavery. Okay? And the plan involves wearing the enemy down, number one. But... It also involves reintroducing the Israelites to their God. You see, they've been in slavery for such a long time, they do not even know who the God of their forefathers are anymore. They've lost the identity, in fact. So, God uses lots of different plagues to number one, wear the Egyptians down, and number two, to reintroduce himself to his people. Yeah. Now, can you imagine in this day that we are in, in the day of load shedding and um, no water and all of those things? Now, I'm mean, not in any way saying that God is responsible for load shedding, but think about how we are so afflicted by load shedding, a little bit of darkness. How afflicted we are by a little bit of water cut off. Yeah. Let me show you what God did to wear down the Egyptians, but also to reintroduce himself in terms of his power and him being God to the nations. So we know that he came with these, turned water to blood. There was the plague of frogs, the plague of lice, the plague of flies, oh, that lice part, yeah, yeah. Okay, plague of livestock diseased, there was a plague of boils. This is a very uncomfortable time, very uncomfortable time. There was a plague of hail, there was a plague of locusts everywhere where you could see there was a plague of load shedding there was darkness you could not see your hand in front of your face in front of your face so load shedding was there there was the death of the firstborn okay that was the tenth plague but now this death of the firstborn God's chosen was in Israel, was in the world. The only way they get out of the death of the firstborn is by the marking of blood. 
Death is passed over them because they are marked with the blood. This has been extended further on to us till today. The judgment, we can get away from that judgment by the blood. We are in the world, but that blood still can save us today. So, we got to start with why. Why would God do this? Why would God care in the first place about those that were in slavery in Egypt? If we go to Exodus 6, 2, 5, and we, you can turn there if you like. We've got lots of scripture to go through. Some of that we will get to in a bit. But Exodus 6, verses 2 to 5, and this is God speaking to Moses. God has already been to Pharaoh the first time, um, and he said, God wants you to let his people go. And Pharaoh, looking at Moses and thinking, okay, and you are? Who? And he, of course, he doesn't allow the people to go. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant. Say covenant. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept or keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Okay, so covenant is very important. God, by going to rescue the people of Israel, is actually honoring a covenant. And we heard those names, Abraham, Isaac. These are names in the past. These guys have passed on. They are no longer there, but God is honoring his covenant two generations to come. These guys have gone, but God is true to his word. Do we get that? Covenant, as per the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, says, an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations, especially the arrangement that established the relationship between God and his people expressed in grace first with Israel and then with the church. Through that covenant, God has conveyed to humanity the meaning of human life and salvation. On a course that I'm on at the moment, there's a differentiation between the word contract versus covenant. Contract speaking to performance if you do not perform the contract is broken it becomes null and void covenant however is based on promise based on promise the promise stands the covenant stands based on the promise not based on the action meaning that here you have a covenant there's, there's two things that can happen with the covenant. It can be conditional 
or unconditional. So remember this. Here's the promise. It's going to stand. Conditional or unconditional. So if I do something, the covenant or the promise comes into play. If I don't do something, that covenant or the promise can still come into play. Okay? But the other part of, like I said, conditional, if I do something, then this covenant kicks in. It does not mean that if I don't do anything, the covenant goes away. Whereas with the contract, if there was no performance on my part, the contract becomes null and void. If I later on decide, oh no, no, now I want to do something, the contract is broken, it is gone. I have not performed when I was supposed to perform. Versus covenant, the promise is there. You get that? So conditional in the Bible, when it comes to covenant, covenant, you will see portrayed by, if you, God speaking, if you, or person speaking, then I will, based on what you've done. So when you've done the action, the actual promise then kicks in. Versus unconditional, God's promise irrespective of what we do. Are we on the same page? Now I want you to just meditate on God's love for a, for a bit before we go further because God has made covenant to man. God, knowing what a covenant means, has intentionally tied himself to man. Can you believe that? God has intentionally tied himself to the land of Israel and he's intentionally tied himself to you and I. God has, we have promises inside of God. Conditional, unconditional. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not going back on his promise or on his word. We have got checks to cash in God's promises. We've got something to do with this. 2 Corinthians 1.20 God's promises are yea and amen. So be it. So be it. So God made covenants. We, we need to understand what we have in God. God's covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and with David. So Noah, we remember that God wiped out most of man with the flood and after the flood God says to Noah I won't do this again making a promise and this I don't know if the um, uh, if they were trying to be funny about this but it's from Genesis 9:11. <laughs> this is an unconditional promise unconditional doesn't matter what is done by by man. God says in Genesis 9:11, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That is unconditional. No matter what you and I do, God has promised that that will never happen again. 
Got it? Unconditional covenant. Then we have Abraham, like I said, was Shem's descendant. This is unconditional as well. God's promise to the first patriarch. It also functions as the basis for God's covenant with, or, uh, with Israel. Genesis 15. Let me just turn there quickly. So Genesis 15 verses 5 says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Then we go to verses 13. Then he said to, a, uh, to Abram at that time, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Now think about the story I told just now. Excuse me about where the Israelites are. Okay? So this was God talking to Abram at the time, prophesying what is to come. They will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall, you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And if it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, then behold, there appears a smoking oven and a burning torch that will pass through those places. Cloud. Fire. That was God leading, hey? On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God made a covenant, and when he comes back to Israel, the rescue mission that's happening, God is acting on a promise that is made to Abram back in the day. Okay, that was an unconditional promise, covenant that God made. And then God made a promise or a covenant with Moses as well. Okay, so this is also for the nation of Israel. So Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6 says, If you, so is this conditional or unconditional? Conditional. conditional. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God intended for Israel to bless the nations by serving as a priestly nation, priestly role. Israel was supposed to draw nations to God. Moses is given the Ten Commandments and we get a whole flurry of legal laws that come into to, to play there. 
All right. And this is a national covenant that can be used by all nations. Right. The symbolic parts of the law also then point to Jesus Christ later on down the line. Hebrews 10 verses 1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Then we come to David's covenant, God's covenant with David, the Davidic covenant. So he promises David an eternal covenant. Okay? An eternal covenant. Your, he says that man would be restored on earth under God's greater rule. Speaking to the covenant that we live under once again. Second Samuel 7 verses 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He was talking about the Messiah to come whose hope is ours. The Messiah to come. So David was promised this via a covenant. We have promised through the Davidic covenant. Now, if we look at the different covenants, it makes a way out for the Israelites. It also makes a way out for us. But with the promises of God, there's also consequences for disobedience. There's also consequences for a lack of faith. So now we see the reasoning behind why God has actually gone after this nation that is in captivity at this point in time. The word exodus in Greek, English, and Latin speaks to a coming out, a release, an exit. And two areas of significance for Israel, and as well as for us, okay, in terms of being coming out of bondage, national significance, giving us identity, and spiritual significance, the realization of who God is. Sometimes we've been in bondage and slavery for so long, we don't know who the God of our forefathers was and is. We are so trapped by the things of this world, we don't know who God is. Through God's covenant and His promises, God reintroduces Himself to us. The ransom has been paid. We now see why God went after the Israelites. We see now why God comes after you and I. You know the constant knocking at the heart of your door? Door of your heart? Constant knocking? Covenant, covenant, covenant. I made a promise to you. I want to enter into that promise with you. God comes after us, but who does God actually have to contend with? What does God actually have to contend with? 
is what I want us to see this morning. So we know there are promises in God. We know that God comes to us. But what does God find? And I want us this morning to look at two passages of Scripture. Exodus 17 verses 1 is going to be the first one that we're going to look at. Exodus 17 verses 1. Now remember, the Israelites were in Egypt in bondage. God made a way for them to come out of of Egypt. And he takes them on a journey to the promised land. Now, an exciting place to be, correct? If God says, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to take you to the land of milk and honey, I'm going to take you to the promised land, we're all on board that ship, right? But God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Do we know that um, we are also on a journey on this earth? Under God's promises. Do we know that God's ways are not our ways? Are we happy aboard the ship? Are we happy aboard the ship no matter what? Because that's what I'm asking. Under God's promises, tests come about because God is checking who's on board the ship. Why are you on board the ship? Is your heart right aboard the ship? Let's look at what is happening in Exodus 17. So we're all along for the ride because we're going to the land of milk and honey. Yay! Exodus 17 verses 1 to 7 says, Then all the congregation, say all the congregation. All the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. And and that's not sin as in sin, sin, sin. That's sin as in from Sinai. Okay. So according to the commandment of the Lord. And camped in Rephidim. But there was no water. There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses. And they said, Why is it that you have brought us here? Brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, I've taken out some key points out of this particular scripture. And I'm just going to highlight them. One of them, it says, this was according to the commandment of the Lord. So where they were and where they were stopping, when they were going, uh, everything that they were doing was not of their, of, of, of their plan. It was of the commandment of the Lord. And then the next point is, led to no water. Yeah. <laughs> when God puts promises on your life, and God says to you, I've got great things planned for your life. I am going to take you to the land of milk and honey. And then God says, follow me, I'm in command, I'm in control, and then takes you to a place of no water. Hey. God takes you to a place of no water. Hmm. Interesting. Exodus 15 verses 25 says, there, now, now let me tell you this, this part of Exodus 15 25 was another time that God took them to a place where there was water, but it was bitter. How's the twist in this? There was water now, but it was undrinkable this time. This is God, hey? God says, There he made a statute and an ordinance. A statute being a law, decree, ordinance, and authoritative order. And he says, and He made a statute and ordinance for them, and he says, and, and there he tested them. So God has taken them on a journey, but there are tests along the way. Tests, number one, testing man's heart. But number two, do you know who I am? Is your trust and is your faith in me? Because if God takes you on this journey, but there's no tests along the way, we become self-sufficient. We become, I've got this. I've got this. God says... I need to test you. He says, he tested them and said, if you, conditional, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So here's some promises in God for the Israelites. The people, also taking out portions of that scripture there from Exodus 17, the people contended with Moses, the leader. The people were not happy about what was going down here. The people were looking at the pastor and saying, you are responsible for this that is happening right now. You know this relationship with God that I have? That you promised milk and honey? What are you going to do about it? My contention is with you, the man. 
So the church was contending with the man. The man of God was contending with God. He went to God in prayer. But we as the church are contending with the man. I just want to drop the seed. Um, is the Bible for a professional Christian, uh, the, the professional pastor, or was the Bible written for each one of us? It was written for each one of us to read, to apply. Any one of us can pray. Any one of us can go before the Lord. Any one of us. So Moses cried out to the Lord like we says. Then God says to him, strike the rock and water will come out of it. Okay? Remember that. God said to him, strike the rock, water will come out of it. Moses says to the people, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And therefore, because of what they were undergoing at that point in time, he names the place Masa and Meribah. Masa in Hebrew meaning testing, trials and temptation. Because they said in, in um, Exodus 17 verses 7, is the Lord amongst us or not? Just, 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 just in, in, in Egypt not so long ago, God was doing all these wonderful things. All these wonderful signs and, and, and rescuing them, even turns the um, bitter water sweet for them to drink, saves them all along this time, and they come to the very next test, and they say, is God really with us? How short memoried are we? How short memoried are we? We have come through so much with God. He has brought us through so much. The providence of God has followed us all of our lives. And the very next week, a test we come to, we say, but is God really here? Is God really with me? What does God feel like? I've brought you through this. Didn't I bring you through the last? Now you're saying, does God exist? Is God with me? Why would I leave you? The providence, the promise of God still stands. Amen. Amen. The covenant of God stands. The only thing that moves is you and I. The only thing that moves is you and I. So, here we find that Moses strikes the rock. Moses is asking the people, why do you tempt God? We find ourselves in these trials and temptations. We've just finished the book of James. Anybody blessed by James? And James 1.1 was saying, count it all joy. Wow. Count it all joy when you face all these various trials. Easy to read, hey? Yeah. Count to joy when you face it. Because something is happening when you're going through the trials. Patience is coming about. Another word for patience in the Bible, long-suffering. Patience is coming about, but this patience is bringing about another, another work inside of you. Bringing you to completeness inside of Him. But we don't want the trials. We don't want to know, Lord, can't you just tell me you're here? Why do you have to show me? Father, why? 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 
Lord, I, I, I know that you're here. Yes, but your heart doesn't say that. You can say it with your mouth. But when trials and tribulations come, do we go to Moses and say, why did you bring us out of bondage? Why did you not leave us there where at least we had a plate of food? Now we have to depend on God and God's timing. I preferred it in bondage. I preferred it in slavery. I preferred it there where I did not know who my God was because at least then I had to depend on somebody else. Now you are actually saying I must go through the test, through the test and I must depend on God. Lord, that's not a comfortable place. Lord, that's not a comfortable place. James 5 verse 13 says, Is any among you suffering? Pray. Is any among you suffering? Pray. He did not say at that point in time, Go and find the pastor, ask him, What is going on here? Where did you bring me to and what is going on? I'm not happy. If any of you is suffering, pray. We can go to God. We can go to... We have the power to go to God. If any of you is cheerful, sing psalms. Let us praise God through the, through the bad times. Let us praise God through the difficult times. But let's also give honor to God when we're going through the wonderful things in our lives. How often do we only come to God and Lord, this is not hard. This is not easy. I'm not happy. How often are we going to the pastor, get me out of this? What are you going to do about this? I've listened to everything you said from the pulpit. Nothing is helping. But have you taken it to the King of Kings? Have you taken it to the Lord of Lords? Why are we going to man first? There is another part to that scripture that says that when you are in sickness, yes, gather the elders. Because, yes, you might be in a state where you can't pray for yourself. But how many of us are so disabled in our minds? We stay in the perpetual sickness up here. We can't pray. We can't go to God. He misses us so much. God misses us so much. He's given us access. Family, you and I, we have access to the King of Kings. We have access to the Lord of Lords. So when God is bringing about the test and the trial, will He fa find us faithful and will He find us faith-filled? What are we doing in the season of test? There's a comparison that I want to do quickly with Numbers 20. If you could go to Numbers 20, verses 7 to 13. And this is a little further down the line. Moses is still walking with the Israelites and things are starting to heat up. Can you remember not so long ago, um, Moses was saying, these people are ready to stone me. Lord, why have you brought us into this place? These guys want to kill me right now. And this is the church. This is God's people. So Numbers 20 verses 7 to 13. And then we'll take some key points out of it as well. So 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So Moses took the rock from before the Lord as the rod before the, uh, the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Hey. The leader is angry. The leader is getting worn down himself. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore, consequences, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now taking out a couple of points from that reading, God said to Moses, take the rod, we got that part, take the rod, did he say hit the rock? That was the time before. Now he says, speak to the rock. God's instruction in this season. A little different from the other season. One might think, but the water still came out. What's the big deal? Who? Whose instruction are we following? God's instruction, man's instruction. There is a way that seems right unto man. Here's what Moses says to the people. Now remember, Moses at one point in time was complaining to God, but I don't speak so well. Uh, why do you want to use me? This is the same man. Here now, you rebels! This man's speaking quite fine. This man is confident. This man is bold. This man is worn down. This man is sick of what is happening to him. Okay? Here now, you rebels! Built up of frustration, judgment coming from Moses the leader to the congregation. How's this? Must we bring water out of the rock? Hey, this frustration and this judgment and this pride and all of these things turned no more to God, but now Moses is in charge. He's first showing the finger of judgment, showing the finger of frustration and of anger towards the people, and then says, must we... Aaron and him, Aaron and Moses, bring water out of the rock. Arrogance. Moses lifted 
his hand, no longer the father's, and struck the rock twice in disobedience, not even once, twice in disobedience. Unbelief sets in. God said to him, because you did not believe me. Now remember, if, if it was counted as righteousness towards Abraham for believing God, can we safely say that Moses is in a state of unrighteousness at this point? Not believing God. Okay, taking things onto himself. You did not treat God as holy before the people. You've done things in your own way. You've done things as you think is right in your own mind. The holiness of God is not at the forefront. There was consequences to what happened. There was consequences to doing things man's way and not God's way. Yes, the water still came out. The need was, the need was met for now. But what about the long-term promise? Moses didn't get to go into the land, the promised land. So we saw how the church responds to God taking them through trials and tribulations. We see how the leadership responds to God taking them through trials and tribulations. Sometimes the church will be the leadership's test. But guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. That's for everybody in the church, not just the leadership. In Moses' scripture that we've just read, we saw traces of pride, frustration, anger, faithless, faithlessness, unbelief, unrighteousness. Lest we all fall short of God's mission for us. Rebirth. We're walking into a new season. God is always in control. God is always taking the lead. What we do, we not do because any man thinks it's a good idea. If it's not a God idea, it's not a good idea. So today, and I thank Brother Aldrin for reminding us once again, there's some things that you think, hey, I thought of this. God needs to be involved all the time. God reminded us that, hey, you shifting from this particular venue, it's not your idea. It was prophesied. It was said that this is what will happen. We thank God for, for just confirming the word because once again, we're not looking to Moses and we're not contending with Moses. We're looking to God and saying, Father, in this too, in this season too, will we trust in you. God first or not at all. We can't do this in our own strength. But church, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We are not called to be a part of church to sit in a pew and sing a song and leave. We are under the providence 
of God's covenant. Our lives are purposeful. The faith, the measure of faith on the inside of you is to build the kingdom of God, not any building. Not any building. If we are building a, being, a, a building and not the kingdom of God, we're missing the mark. The things that we're going through in our lives, the tests and the trials, is not what it's all about. God is testing the heart. So you know what? Don't look to the left and to the right. Don't look at the pastor. Don't look at the person next to you. But go to God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. This is not by you. It's not by me. It's by God. And we give it all back to Him. So as we step into a new season, rebirth, we step forward with God, through God, for God, in faithfulness and in faith through God. And if you have not, like the Israelites, made that mark of blood to come into the promises of God, if you have not made the mark of blood, taken on the mark of blood, you are standing outside of the promises of God. You are walking on the earth under your own covering. It's a dangerous place to be. These are end times that we are living in. These are end times that we are living in. And tomorrow is promised to no man. Don't leave here today without the mark of blood on you. Let's close our eyes. And this morning, if you've not accepted the mark of blood on you, if you are not under the covering, covering of God's promises, if you've not stepped into the covenant, just raise your hand if you want to be counted as part of God's family, part of those who are building His kingdom. Now's your chance. Now's your time. Nobody looking around. Everybody